You know, I, I praise the Lord because He is the one who anoints us and calls us, even though we are definitely unworthy. Amen? And I can tell you right off the back, I know there are much more qualified men who could do this position. But I praise God, it's His Holy Spirit who equips us. God is good. Amen. And all the time? Good, just had to throw it in there. All right, why don't we begin with the word of prayer? And let's ask Jesus to bless us with the Holy Spirit as we continue in ministry. Father, we just thank you. Lord, we thank you so much for your goodness and your kindness. Thank you, God, for the privileges you bestow upon your people. We are praying and asking now for the present blessing of the Holy Spirit that our hearts and minds would be touched by the Word of God. And Lord, we pray and ask that you would continue to dwell in this place. And we pray that every person who leaves this sanctuary will have known that they have encountered the King of Kings. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Now, it seems every Sabbath the fact that I'm single keeps coming up. You know, it's so funny, I, um, <laughs> you know, I went to this GYC thing um, a few years ago, I went just recently, I did a seminar, but I went to, this, went to a GYC a few years ago, and there was this guy who was giving a talk on relationships, and my friend wanted to go, so I said, okay, let's go, and sure enough, it was the most packed class, You'd be, why, why would that class be the most packed class, got a, young, a lot of young people with hormones, and so that class was just completely full. And once it was done, there was a lot of people who were surrounding the presenter. Let me just tell you this funny story. This was so interesting. A little bit humiliating at the same time. So after he was done, my friend decided to go talk to him. And he says, Anel, let's go talk to him. So, you know, I didn't want to go up there because I think I know all there is about relationships. And so he walked up there and my friend started talking to him. And there were still a lot of people who were waiting in line. And uh, they were beginning to just crowd in around us. And my friend, he turns to the teacher and he says, please pray for us that we find wives. And I look at him just like that. And you know what the teacher does, the the presenter? He places his hands on both of us. And then you know what he does? He starts praying out loud in front of all these people. God, please help these young men to find wives. There's somebody out there who will love them. And the whole time, look, I'm brown skin, but I turned red. <laughs> I was there and I was just like, oh my goodness, there are so many people here right now. That's how I felt just a few minutes ago. But I'm excited because God has a message for us, amen? But really quick, I do want to share something very special that's taking place tonight. What's happening tonight? A cooking school, that's exactly right. And we know the right arm of the gospel is what? The what? The health message, amen. So I'm going to invite Jessica Rice and Daniel Vieira Jr. really quick up to the front. And they're going to be our presenters. And what's so exciting about this, we have been getting calls from the community. People are just walking off the street and they said, we heard that there's a cooking school taking place here, a vegan raw cooking school. We would like to be part of this. And so really briefly, I'm going to have Jessica and Daniel just share what what they're going to be doing tonight. Well, thank you, Pastor Anil, so much for this opportunity to come and share my passion for nutrition and healthy cooking with you. And knowing that you're preaching on Genesis this morning, it reminded me of Genesis 2, verse 9. And out of the ground, the Lord God made every tree grow that is pleasant to the sight and good for food. So, brothers and sisters, did God know what he was doing when he made fruits and vegetables? Amen. Amen. He certainly did. And tonight we're going to share with you how to include more vegetables in your diet, how to eat more plant-based, and to achieve super immunity. Amen. Daniel, would you like to say something? Absolutely. You know, when we arrived, I had the privilege to speak to one of your church members, and he said something really interesting. He said, I am so excited. I just became a vegetarian. But he said, what I've realized is you could be a fat vegetarian, which is so true. (laughs) Which is so true. See, in the world we live in, we have an epidemic, and that epidemic is obesity. And we know that disease is rampant. 
So I invite you all to come out tonight and learn some tools that we're going to share with you on how you could eat uh, food for super immunity. And Jessica is going to show you how to cook these wonderful foods. So come out tonight at 7 o'clock, I believe. All right, we'll see you there. Amen. Can we say amen, church family? Amen. That is exciting. That is exciting. God's doing some special things here at Ceres, and it's not because of us. It's because of Jesus. Amen? We've had so many different kinds of outreach in preparation for our prophecy seminar that starts when? Next what? Next Friday. That's exactly right. We had the Hell and Mr. Fudge movie. How many people went to that? Raise your hand. Okay. Did you guys enjoy that movie? Now, if you were there on Thursday, you would know that the Pentecostals came to town. They came to town. We did a Q&A, and many of them had questions, and it was very interesting. So if you were there Thursday night, you know that that was a, an explosive night. But I praise God, because many people walked away saying, you know what? I have been enlightened with what I've just learned. God is good. Amen? This teaching uh, about eternal torment has to be refuted, and the Bible gives clear answers. Let me just tell you something. This makes or breaks... Many people's Christianity. It is so important. In fact, one of the reasons why most people are skeptics is because of this teaching. And God has entrusted us as Seventh-day Adventists to let people know what the truth is about what happens to the wicked. Can you say amen to that? And so all this stuff that took place was just simple preparation for what's going to happen for our prophecy series. So please continue to pray. All right, ladies and gentlemen, we're going to begin with our final sermon in the book of Genesis, the powerful secrets in the book of Genesis, part three. So take your Bible out. I want to let you know off the back, this is going to be a thorough Bible study. If you were there just two weeks ago, you would notice that we started part one, and last week we did part two. I recapped part one last week. I'm going to recap part two really quickly as we just jump into this Bible study. And if you missed it, please get the audio recording. It is some awesome stuff, stuff I have never even heard of before. Just to recap part two, we learned last week about Cain's sacrifice. Now, what did Cain offer to God? First fruits. Now, are first fruits wrong in of themselves, yes or no? No, you read the book of Leviticus or Deuteronomy, first fruits were actually thanksgiving offerings, right? So what Cain offered was not exactly wrong, it was intentionally incomplete. It was lacking the most important thing, which was what? The blood of the lamb, right? And we learned how Cain fled from God's presence, went into the land of Nod, or the land of wandering, and then we also learned about Adam and his little clan. For 130 years since the time of Adam's creation to this, when he was 130 years old, he did not have a child. So the time of Seth, from the time of Cain all the way to the time of Seth, a lot of time passed. Very interesting. Cain's descendants were allowed to mature and multiply, and Adam and Eve could see the wickedness multiply all over the face of the earth. And we learned about Cain's descendants... We learned how they became polygamists, how they became murderers. Adam and Eve were seeing the results of their initial rebellion. In fact, this is just a point for study. If you study the names of the sons of Cain, you will know that their names are smitten of God. Spear. In other words, there was this negativity from Cain that was passed on to each one of his descendants. When you read about Adam, you find, you find out in the book of Genesis chapter 5, I believe it is, that he finally has a son after several years, and his name is what? Seth, right? We also learned last week with that when Eve actually had Cain originally, what did she say? I have, what's the verb? Acquired a man from the Lord. But when she finally had Seth, what did she finally say? The Lord has appointed me a seed instead of Abel, whom Cain killed. In other words, Eve thought Cain's got to be the promised one. And she says, I have acquired this from the Lord. But after several years of realizing it's God's timing that matters, not hers, she came to that understanding. And then when Seth was born, she says, the Lord has appointed me a seed. In fact, that word appointed is used throughout the Old Testament to describe divine timing. And Eve finally recognizes that. We learned about the descendants of Seth. And who was the seventh from Adam? What was his name? Enoch, right? 
we learned something very interesting about the story of Enoch, right? We learned he was the seventh from Adam, but he had a very unusual reputation. The Bible says he what? Walked with God. Now that's very interesting, because the first time you hear about somebody walking was where? In the garden. So what's happened in the life of Enoch? He has had such a special communion time with God. The Bible actually says he walked with God. There was an There was an uninterrupted experience with God. Then we also learned about Enoch that he actually was what? Translated. So you have Adam, the first man who was given the death sentence, lived all the way to the time of Enoch, the first man to be relieved of the death sentence. And this was such hope for Adam, who had seen nothing but death and decay. Yet the seventh from Adam gave Adam hope that it is possible for sinful men to enter into heaven. Can you say hallelujah to that? All right, now we're going to continue with our Bible study. Powerful secrets in the book of Genesis, part three. Part three. It's very interesting when you take a good look at the book of Genesis. I do not think this thing is working. There you go. Is it me or it's you? It's you. Do you have another clicker? I think I need another clicker. Okay, we're going to learn about the pre-flood world. Now, what's so interesting about the pre-flood world is that you will discover in nearly every single religion, in every single culture, that there is a flood story. There is a what type of story? Flood story. In fact, before I became a Christian, when I was a Hindu, I had learned about a worldwide flood. When I went to the British Museum, when I was speaking in um, England, sometime, was it last year? I think it was last year. I went to the British Museum, and they had the Gilgamesh tablet, the actual Gilgamesh tablet, the Babylonian tablet that describes a worldwide flood. In several different cultures, you find that there is a worldwide flood story. Why is that? Because after the Tower of Babel, people took the recent history and spread all over to different parts of the world. In fact, what you will find is a consistency or a common denominator in cultures, mostly every different cultures, and it has to do with usually three or four different things. Number one, you'll find in nearly every, every single culture a flood story. You will also find out a similar creation story, specifically in regards to the divisions of heaven and earth. You will also find the ziggurat structure located in nearly every single culture. In other words, if you look at the pattern of how temples are built, from the Mayan temples to the Hindu temples to the Babylonian temples, there seems to be a consistency in the architecture. And I forget the fourth one. But folks, do not forget this. This is an extremely important point. The flood story is prevalent all over the entire world. Anybody who says this was simply just a local flood completely, if they say that, disqualifies the very reason for the flood. So if we just say it's just some little flood off there in the corner of the earth, it completely disqualifies the very purpose of the flood. And I think we are ready to go. Okay, very good. Take a good look at what Dr. Duane Gish wrote in Dinosaurs by Design. He says that there are more than 270 stories from different cultures around the world about a devastating flood. Although there are varying degrees of accuracy, these legends and stories all contain similarities to aspects of the same historical event. Can you say amen to that? Thank you, David. Is there going to be another one? Okay, thank you. I appreciate that. So, we're going to just, I need the AV team. Just when I go like this, that means switch. Okay, let's go back a little bit. Very good. (laughs) It's a beautiful Sabbath. Okay. Amen. Take your Bible. Let's go to the book of Genesis. We're going to just take a good look at the book of Genesis, chapter 6. We're going to take a good look at the time that Enoch lived, at the time of Methuselah lived, Lamech, and Noah. So we're going to Genesis, chapter 6. Genesis, chapter 6. And if you're there, go ahead and say amen. Amen. Let's start with verse 1. Now it came to pass when men began to multiply on the face of the earth and daughters were born to them. Now whose descendants is this talking about? This is talking specifically about, it is Adam's descendants, but more specifically, Cain's descendants. Cain's descendants. Let's continue and you'll understand why. That the sons of God, and who were the sons of God? They were the descendants of Seth. 
In fact, you'll find out just in the previous chapter that when Seth began to follow the God, the Bible says that men begin to call upon the name of the Lord. Worship was restored and preserved throughout the lineage of Seth. So you had two different groups on earth at that time. You had Seth's descendants that were slowly growing, and then you were having Cain's descendants that were rapidly multiplying. Now you're going to see something interesting take place. That the sons of God saw the who? Daughters of men that they were what? What's that next word? Beautiful, and they took wives of themselves of all whom they chose. We see something happening during the time of Enoch, during the time of Methuselah, during the time of Noah that's very interesting. This is the pre-flood world, the antediluvian world. Something interesting is taking place, and that is God's people are being mixed with the world. You have hot mixing with cold. And what happens when the hot mixes with cold? You have what? Lukewarm. So what you see taking place in the world at that time, there is a lukewarmness taking place, and God's people are actually losing their very identity. Praise the Lord. Thank you, David. God's people are actually losing their identity. They're losing it. The things that made them distinct, the preservation of the true worship was being just completely defaced from the world. And people were losing the knowledge of God at that time. Now what's so interesting, sometimes when we look at anthropology, secular anthropology places individuals who were the earliest people as people who were like cavemen and Neanderthals who beat their wives and dragged them into the cave. I'm not sure what to say right now. <laughs> and so, this was taking place. I mean, this is what, no, this was not taking place. This is what anthropology places as the earliest human beings. But when you take a good look at what the Bible is actually saying, ancient histories, you discover that these people lived for hundreds of years. They were extremely intelligent. In fact, Ellen White says something interesting. She says almost like a question, rhetorical question about these people. She says, sometimes it's asked or it's, it's said that the people who lived before us, they didn't have the technology we have today. She simply says, it's because they didn't need them. They didn't need them. Think about that. I mean, you have calculators today. What's the purpose of calculators? To have math calculations. These people did not need calculators. Their brains were calculators. And so these people were very intelligent, and they were very physically apt. And they had hundreds of years to develop and to become more like God, but instead of using their abilities or capabilities for God, they began to become worse and worse. And let's go a little bit further in this. We're going to see something very interesting. Verse 3. And. What's that next word? And. Now what does the word and mean? Yeah, it means there's a connection to the next statement. In other words, the previous statement is connected to the next statement. The word and is a conjunction. It's bringing together two separate thoughts. I want you to see what the next thought is in connection with the context of the world at that time. And the Lord said, my spirit shall not what? Strive with man what? Forever. For he is indeed flesh, yet his days shall be one hundred and what? 20 years. God plans to just simply cut off the human lifespan. But I want you to pay attention to this because you don't want to miss this point. God's problem with the generation at that time, the reason why he's heartbroken, is because his people are mixing with the world. That's why God is saying, my spirit shall not always plead or strive with mankind. God's problem is with his people because his people are losing their very identity. They're marrying the world. And so he says, my spirit shall not always strive with man. God planned to have a group of people who were faithful to God, who were worshiping him, who were keeping the lineage of God pure. Although they welcomed every single person, they would not compromise. But this generation began to compromise over and over and over and over again. In fact, their only criteria in finding a spouse was that what? If they were beautiful. I had a 16-year-old one time come to me. And he said, I met the girl of my dreams. And he says, I, I'll never meet another girl like this. 
I mean, she is the one I want to spend the rest of my life with. And I said, how old are you? I give the answer away. And he says, I'm 16. And I said, you're 16. And I go, you're too young to be thinking about marriage right now. You haven't even finished high school or even 11th grade. And then he says to me, my parents were 16-year-olds when they got married. I said, your parents were able to build houses. You can't even order pizza on the phone. (laughs) Folks, you may look to me and you say, no, you're single. What do you know about marriage? It's true. I am lacking in certain things, but I do want to say something to you. And this is inspiration given to us from the scripture and from Ellen White's writings that I think is extremely important. You know, somebody asked me one day when I was on this panel for Q&A, and they just said, uh, they said, what do we look for in a, in a good spouse? And I said, very simple. I said, you take your right hand, and I want you to, to just think of the word right. R-I-G what? H-T. I said, when you're looking for the right person, it's very simple. Number one, R, make sure that their religion is same as yours. There's no question about that, amen? And if you may think to yourself, well, so-and-so in the church, they worked out fine. Look, that person may work out, that one person may work out, but there are hundreds more that have failed. So number one, make sure that that individual is in the same church as you are, amen? Number one, I, or number two, I. Make sure that they have a spiritual intelligence, that they know things about God. Can you say amen to that? That they're somewhat intelligent in the things of God, in the religion of God. Number two, G, goals. Or number three, G, goals. You want to make sure that that individual is heading in a positive direction just like you are. Can you say amen to that? Because if you're planning with your life to go out to become some missionary in some third world country, and that individual is planning to just spend the rest of their life being a lawyer in Southern California, you two need to rethink your priorities. So number one, religion. Number two, intelligence. Number three, goals. Number four, H, or letter H, I should say, holiness. A personal holiness with God. You want to make sure that that person truly knows Jesus. Can you say amen to that? I've heard so many people say, yeah, that person knows Jesus. I say, how do you know that person knows Jesus? Well, because they come to church. That is not the qualification of how someone knows Jesus. Can you say amen to that? Do you guys know who Art Branner is? I love that preacher. He's one of my good friends. Art Branner's a great guy. He told me that when he was looking for his wife or his spouse in seminary, he said that he found this beautiful lady. He was just so in love with her. and Well, he wasn't in love with her. That's what he said. Yeah, he was going to be in love with her. He was just scoping her out, and he wanted to see if she had a real connection to Jesus. And she studied her Bible. So he said in Sabbath school class, he sat right behind her, and while the teacher was talking, he'd look over and look at her Sabbath school quarterly. And he noticed that there were different colors, markers that were being used in the Sabbath school. The footnotes were completely filled in. And when he saw that, he said, hallelujah, I found the right one. <laughs> you want to make sure that that person truly knows Jesus. Can you say amen to that? And you know what? Time reveals a lot of things. And the last thing, which I think is probably one of the most important things, teachers. Mentors in your life. If you can't go to one of the mentors in your life and talk to them about your relationship, it means you know something. And that knows that what you probably know is that you shouldn't be with that person. You want to go to the godliest people in your life and you want to be able to say, what do you think about me being with this person? How do you feel about that? You want godly, honest mentors. Can you say amen to that? And I appreciate my elders because many times I don't go to them about my relationships, but I will go to them and I'll ask them different questions about ministry. I'm expecting an honest answer from them. And that's what I trust them with. We ought to be able to be safe that people can come to us and say, look, I have a question about one of my relationships. What do you honestly think? Can you say amen to that? So don't forget that, single people. Religion, intelligence, goals, holiness, and what's the last one? Teachers. In fact, two weeks, two or three weeks from now, or four weeks from now, we're going to have Dr. Oler present a seminar on singles. I'm not going to be here, but I know many of you will probably be taking notes and leave them on my front porch. Let's continue. Let's continue. Let's find out about a little bit more about Genesis chapter 6. I'm planning to be done in 10 minutes, Lord willing. Genesis chapter 6. 
Look at verse 4. There were giants on the earth in when? Those days. And also afterward when the sons of God came into the what? Daughters of men and they bore children. Those were the mighty men who were of old, men of renown. Now I want you to pay attention to this because it's very unusual. We know that giants existed with, the, with Adam. Can you say amen to that? I mean, the people back then were much taller. But when you read this verse, it almost sounds like when the sons of God, the descendants of Seth, went into the daughters of the earth, the descendants of Cain, that giants were produced. And we scratch our head and we say, wait a second, weren't giants already in existence? Yes, they were. Now, what makes this so unusual is that the Hebrew word for giant is different from all the other words that are used in the Old Testament to describe giants. In fact, the SDA Bible commentary bears this point out, that the root word for giant here, the root word means violence or bully. Violence or bully. In other words, these group of giants were not like the normal gentle giants. There was an aggressiveness that was about them. A sort of violent nature that they possessed. In fact, when you read about the descendants of Seth, you will discover from Genesis chapter 5 that they were healthier and more like Adam than any of the other descendants. And so when you take God's people who were healthy and you mixed it with this people who were abandoned sinners, all of a sudden you now have a group of people who are strong and fit and who are violent in nature. Very interesting. And so the world, the Bible says, began to be filled with violence. In fact, you want to know something very interesting? That the word used in Genesis chapter 6 to describe the, describe the condition of that world at that time, the word corrupt, it's the exact same word used to describe Lucifer in Ezekiel chapter 28. In other words, like it says Ezekiel 28, he corrupted his wisdom for the sake of his what? Splendor. You now had a world that was completely corrupt as the devil himself. Completely as corrupt as the devil himself. In fact, the word that's used over and over again in that same chapter is that the world was filled with what? Violence. The world was filled with violence. Now we learned from Genesis two weeks ago about our study that there were three blessings in the book of Genesis. The first week, creation. The first creation week, we learned there were three special blessings God gave his people. Do you remember the first blessing that God gave all of earth? What did God tell the fish and the birds? Be fruitful and multiply. And what's the next phrase? And fill the what? Fill the sea and fill the what? Sky. So God told the birds and the fish, take this empty spans or this empty plane and I want you to fill it. So God's blessings are tied into taking something that is empty and filling it. Then we learned from Genesis chapter 1 that God told Adam and Eve, be fruitful and multiply and fill the what? Earth. God told Adam and Eve, take the empty earth and I want you to fill it with your descendants. And then the third blessing was on the Sabbath. And do you remember what the Bible says? God blessed the Sabbath for in it he rested. So we have three blessings in the book of Genesis. God telling the fish and the, the birds to fill this empty space. Then God telling mankind to fill this empty space. And then the third blessing was when God took the Sabbath, this time, and he filled it with his presence. You want to know why the Sabbath is so special? Because it's a day that is filled with his presence. But here's the most important thing from this study. By this time, the Bible clearly says, the world was filled with violence. The image of God was completely defaced from this planet. In fact, we look at that and we're like, what was going on there? I think God is very intentional about not revealing too much to us. He doesn't want to give us any ideas. But the Bible apparently says that this world was so bad that God says, look, I am so grieved in my heart. He even says, I am so sorry that I actually made them. God comes to the point of regret and his heart is full of sorrow for this world that had become so corrupt and so violent. So violent. But at the same time, the Bible says something very interesting. Go to Genesis chapter 6. Genesis chapter 6. I want you to see something very interesting. Look what the Bible says in verse 8. 
But Noah found grace where? In the eyes of the Lord. Take a good, verse, look, at, take a good look at verse 5 one more time. Then the Lord what? Saw the wickedness of man was great in the earth. Now go to verse 8. But Noah found grace where? In the eyes of the Lord. I want you to pay attention to that contrast. You have God who's looking down on the world and all he sees is wickedness. But then when he looked down again, he saw the man who had found what? Grace. In fact, take a good look at what happens next. This is the genealogy of Noah. Noah was a, what's that next word? Just man. And by the way, the word justice or just right here is usually tied when you read the book of Proverbs with what comes out of your mouth. With what comes out of your mouth. Let's see what happens next. Noah was perfect in his what? Or blameless in his generations. Noah, what's that next word? Walked with God. Noah begat three sons, Shem, Ham, and Japheth. I want you to pay attention to what's described about Noah. God tells Noah, he says, Noah, I'm going to destroy this world. You're a special person. You seem to be very faithful to me. You walk with me. You're blameless, and you're a just person. You're also a family man. You have three boys, and they're also married as well. And he says, I want you to do something so special. I want you to build an ark. And Noah, for 120 years, built this ark. Now, what's so amazing, sometimes when we look at this, we think, well, there was only eight people survived. That's what Second Peter says. That's all who were part of this. In fact, when you take a good look at Scripture, you'll find that Methuselah, his grandpa, and Lamech, his father, lived up to this time, and they were also involved in the building of the ark. In other words, it wasn't just Noah, it wasn't just his sons, but you also had his father, you also had his grandpa. And I love what Ellen White says here in Patriarchs and Prophets. While Noah was giving his warning message to the world, his works testified of his what? Sincerity. It was thus that his faith was perfected and made evident. He gave the world an example of believing just what God says. All that he, now pay attention to this, all that he possessed, he invested in where? In the ark. Where was Noah's heart? Where was Noah's heart? In the work of God. All that he had, he invested in the ark. Look what he says next. Every blow struck upon the ark was a what? Witness to the people. So you can imagine all the scoffers would come out, and Noah would say, come on. He would say, come join me, I need some help. And he'd go over here, and he'd be bringing the hammer down, and he'd be putting this ark together, and he'd say, come on, everybody, join me. And everybody there who was just watching said, this guy is a joke. He's building a boat on dry land. It hasn't even rained. And here he is, he's doing this. And they probably would have been laughing, but as he continued to strike that ark, people were convicted. Some of the people were probably like, maybe there's something to this. You know what they saw? They saw commitment. Sincerity. They saw a man who was genuine in what he believed in, and it showed in his works. Amen? Amen? Do you know we're building an ark for these times? You know what we're doing? When you're inviting people to church, you're inviting them into the ark. Can you say amen to that? You know that the, the world is going to come to an end soon. In fact, if you don't, I don't know how you're an Adventist because the very definition of Adventism is, Adventism is, is that you believe in the second what? Advent of the Lord. And so we believe that the Bible teaches very clearly that Jesus is going to come back. He said it over and over again. I'm coming back. I'm coming back. And God has raised up a group of people who are giving a warning message to the entire world. And they're saying, come on into the ark. Come on into the ark. Hey, everybody, come join the us. And every time we're in some way building up the kingdom of God, guess what? It's a witness to the world. Amen? Anytime you hand out a piece of literature, you know what you're doing? You're building the ark. Anytime you're inviting people to come to church, you know what you're doing? You're building up the kingdom. And just like Noah, you're committed to deliverance. Can you say amen to that? You know, for this Hell and Mr. Fudge movie, I was going to class. I take a philosophy of science class at MJC. And uh, it's been a very interesting class. We plan to cover creationism towards the end of the semester. I'm excited about that. But what's so interesting is it was last week I was walking to class. And they were going to show the movie Hell and Mr. Fudge 
that Thursday, that night. And I was walking to class and I was like, Lord, I really don't, gotta, I don't wanna go to class today. There's just a lot to do. And I was just praying as I was walking. I was like, God, please cancel the class or do something. And I was praying and I said, God, give me an opportunity to be able to pass out these flyers to everybody there. You know, I was just praying and I was walking to class. Walked up to class and all of a sudden as I walked up to the door, it said, class canceled today. And I said, praise the Lord. But then I was like, how am I supposed to be able, how am I supposed to pass out flyers to everybody? So I just stood there and just kind of put my head down just thinking about what to do, and all of a sudden students started coming up, and they're like, class is canceled. And then I said, yeah, it's canceled. Then I was like, oh, by the way, you know there's a free movie coming out tonight? And they're like, oh, thank you. They walk away. Next person come, and they're like, class is canceled. I'm like, it's canceled? And I started being enthusiastic about it, and they're like, yeah. I'm like, well, you know what? Take a look at this. There's a free movie coming out tonight. People kept coming the whole time at the door while I just waited there. It's class is canceled. It's canceled. Aw. Here's a, here's a free pass. Come to this movie tonight. Okay, thanks. Can I get an extra one? Over and over again, this took place. God answered my prayer. Amen? Amen? Here's the thing, ladies and gentlemen. If you pray that God would use you, he'll use you. If you pray, God, help me to be a witness to somebody. God will use you. You guys know where Susan Evanson is? Because I don't. Where is she at? Susan here today? Okay, good. I'm going to talk about her behind her back. Positively. Susan had a very interesting story. And she didn't know what took place. She took a stack of those flyers and she was walking around and she was going to go pass them out to the college, but people had already gone to the college and she was like, Lord, there is a place for this. Where do you want me to go? And she went up to the bus station and she just left them at the bus station. Many of them. Anyway, she gets to the movie premiere of Hell and Mr. Fudge few people came in late. Some people came in on time. And we were asking, so where'd you hear about this movie? I just found this at the bus station. <laughs> this happened multiple times. God will use you to build up the kingdom of God if you ask him. Can you say amen to that? We're going to be having an evangelistic series, folks. And we're handing out, when you're handing out an invitation, you know what you're doing? You're inviting people into the ark. Come be saved. Come on in. Find salvation. Anytime that you're doing something for the Lord, you are showing by your works that you believe in his second coming. Can you say amen to that? And folks, that's what it means to be an Adventist. Not just somebody who believes in the second coming, but someone who loves the second coming and proclaims the truth about it. Amen? Now I want you to pay attention to one other key thing. One other key thing that I think is extremely important. Go to Genesis chapter 6, verses 8 through 10. A lot of times we look at Genesis and we say to ourselves, wait just a second, stop right there. Now, Noah was a man who was perfect. He was a man who was great in the sight of the Lord. That's why God delivered him and his whole family. And then when you take a good look at yourself, you're thinking to yourself, well, I quite don't match up to Noah. I'm not quite the Noah-type figure. When we look at people who are saved in the Bible and we compare their lives with our lives, we usually think to ourselves, yeah, that's not me. That's probably the pastor or one of the elders. In fact, look what the Bible says about Noah. And I think this is very key. Look at Genesis chapter 6 one more time. Let's start with verse 9. This is the genealogy of who? Noah. Noah was a what? Just man. Now, how many people are going to say to themselves right now, well, I'm a just person? Now, watch what Noah, what's also said about Noah. He was perfect in his what? Generation. I know Adventists don't like the word perfect, okay? But the word actually means blameless. It's not so much about being sinless, but rather someone who's committed. In fact, that's what the Hebrew points out, a moral integrity. Watch this. And he walked with who? God. When we take a good look at the life of Noah, we're thinking to ourselves, wow, he was somebody who the Bible says was just. He was perfect in his generations. And the Bible says that he walked with God. And then we take a good look at ourselves and we're like, yeah, that's Noah, but that's not me. That's Noah, but that's not me. 
it's because we are missing the previous verse. Look at verse 8 one more time. But Noah, what? Found, what's that key word? Grace in the who? Eyes of the Lord. Do you get that? In other words, we think the reason why God found, or why Noah found grace is because he was just, because he walked with God, and because he was perfect in his generation. But it's completely the opposite. The reason why Noah was just, the reason why Noah walked with God, the reason why Noah was perfect in his generation is because he had found grace. Can you say amen to that? In other words, it is not behavior that produces salvation. It was what? God's grace that produced the behavior. Can you say amen to that? And Noah found grace. In fact, when you read the scriptures over and over again with that same word grace, over and over again, you're going to find one phrase attached throughout the entire Old Testament, and it is the key word found or find. Always. Abraham found grace. Jacob found grace. May I find grace. In other words, what's always attached to the word grace is not the word earned, but it is the word found. Noah found Grace. Noah what? He found grace in the eyes of the Lord. The reason why Noah became who he was was because he had found grace. In fact, what's so interesting about this is that grace is something that's never deserved. God's unmerited favor is not something that's earned or purchased. The word found usually indicates one of two things. Revealed or given. Revealed or given. Noah was given God's grace because he was seeing God's grace. Can you say amen to that? God's grace was revealed to him. And the reason why he could walk with God is because he understood grace. Can you say amen to that? Folks, at the end of time, it's not going to be your obedience that's going to save you. It's going to be God's grace that's going to save you. Amen? And anyone who thinks to themselves, well, if I just keep coming to church one day, I'm finally going to get converted. If I keep coming to church one day, I'm going to hear enough sermons from Pastor Nell that it's just going to stick in my brain and I'm going to start walking with God. If you think to yourself, one day, I'm just going to keep coming to church, I'm going to get somebody finally who says a prayer for me, I'm going to finally just start following God, I'm going to be involved in church. If you keep thinking to yourself, one day, one day may never happen. But the cool thing about grace is that it's offered today. Can you say amen to that? And I know there's many people who have thought to themselves, well, you know what, if I just, if I just keep coming and doing the, the things that God wants me to do, eventually I'm going to gain God's grace. You are absolutely wrong, my friend. God's grace is offered to you today, and that will be the only reason why you can walk with God. And anyone who thinks that Ellen White was a legalist is a complete, complete idiot because they have not read her writings. I'm going to read you something. That's very interesting. Look what she says right here. We are not to be anxious about what Christ and God thinks of us. Now pay attention to what she is saying. Do not be anxious about what God and Christ thinks of you. But about what God thinks of Christ, our substitute. Can you say amen to that? Can you say amen to that? Now watch what she says right here. This is powerful. You who are tempted and tried and discouraged, look up. Look where? Down. Look at me. Where? Look up. Let no weary, halting, sin-oppressed soul become what? Faint-hearted and lose hope. The promises of God come sounding down along the lines to us, assuring us that, if we may, that we may reach heaven if we will abide in Christ. There's that phrase again. Look up. It is fatal to look where? Now what's down? You are down. Where you stand is fatal ground. Where you walk is fatal ground. Your behavior is fatal ground. Look what she says. 
Look up. It is fatal to look down. Looking down, the earth reels and sways beneath you, and nothing is sure. What is she describing? Your backsliding relationship with God. A divine hand is reached towards you. The hand of the infinite is stretched over the battlements of heaven to grasp your hand in its embrace. The mighty helper is near to help the most erring, the most sinful, and what? Despairing. Do you feel like the worst sinner in the world? You're ready for salvation. Look up by faith, and the light of God, the glory of God will shine upon you. And this is the most powerful part right here. I can't even contain myself. Whatever may have been your past experience, however discouraging may be your past circumstance. When? Two months ago? Last year? Your present. That means now. However discouraging your present circumstances, if you come to Jesus just as you are, weak and helpless, this is powerful right here, and despairing our compassionate Savior will meet you a great, what? Way off and will throw you, uh, throw about you his arms of what? Love and his robe of righteousness. Do not continue to talk of your weakness. Jesus came to bring more power to combine with human effort that we might advance step by step in the heavenward way. Can you say amen to that? Amen. That woman is a Christian. Amen? amen? And she knew God. And she knew the scriptures. And we know what the Bible is teaching about God's grace. That God loves you. Not where you're supposed to be, but he loves you where you are at right now. Amen? Amen? And if you come to him just like Noah did, you will discover that there is grace at the foot of the cross. Grace for the most erring, most sinful, the most despairing person here today. You may be somebody here today who's thinking to yourself, I have tried this over and over and over again now. Get up again. Get up again and come to the foot of the cross. I'm going to do something special. I'm going to invite the elders to come up. I'm going to invite all the elders and their wives and their wives. But all the elders and their wives to come to the front, please hurry. Ladies and gentlemen, God's grace is offered to us when? Today. Today, right now. Right now, God's grace is offered to you. You know what God told Noah? He said, Noah, I am going to make a covenant with you. Now take your Bible for the rest of you. I want you to turn to Isaiah 54. I want you to see something so powerful. Isaiah 54. Isaiah 54, I want you to see something so powerful, powerful about the covenant that God made with Noah. God reminds Isaiah about it. And Isaiah reminds the people of God about this exact same covenant that was made years ago. Isaiah 54, if you're there, go ahead and say amen. Amen. Let's start with verse 9. For this is like the waters of who? Noah to me, for I has... For as I have sworn that the waters of Noah would no longer cover the earth, so I have sworn that I would no longer, what's that next word? Be what? Angry with you. Do you ever feel like God's angry with you? God's covenant says that God will not be angry with you. Watch the rest of it. Nor rebuke you. For as the mountains shall depart and the hills be removed, my kindness shall not depart from you, nor shall my covenant of peace be removed, says the Lord, you who have mercy on you. And then God becomes a little bit more tender with his people. Look what he says. Oh, you afflicted one, tossed with the tempest. In other words, somebody who in their walk with God just feels like they're just being pushed to one side, pushed to another side, never feel like you actually have stability. God is saying, you who are tossed with the tempest. Look what he says, and not comforted. You're praying, Lord, show me that you love me. You don't feel that comfort. God is speaking to you today. Behold, I will lay your stones with colorful gems and lay your foundations with sapphires. I will make your pinnacles of rubies, pinnacles of rubies, your gates of crystal, and all your walls of precious stones. All your children shall be taught by the Lord, and great shall be the peace of your children. Verse 14, in righteousness you shall be established. You shall be far from oppression, for you shall not fear. Ladies and gentlemen, this was the covenant that was made with Noah. And God is reminding his people that that covenant today still stands. Anyone who will come to him, 
to find grace, to find the grace that Noah did, you will find that it will transform your heart and it will do what you can never do. You said, I want to fear God. I want to love God more. The Bible says in Psalm 130, if the Lord should mark iniquities, who could stand? But there is forgiveness with him that he may be feared. Forgiveness precedes the obedience. Jesus told the Pharisees, he says, to whom much is forgiven, much loves. Much loves. Forgiveness leads to a greater love with God. And perhaps you're somebody today who is saying, God, I want this grace right now. You are here for a reason. You are here at the perfect time. God brought you here today. Ladies and gentlemen, if you're just somebody who just says, I want prayer, I want you to come to the front right now. I want you to come to the front and say, I just want prayer. You don't have to tell us what you want. Our elders and their wives are just going to pray for you. Anybody would just want to come to the front and say, Lord, I want to experience this grace that you have for me. Come to the front. There's plenty of time. This is the time, ladies and gentlemen, that God is willing to pour out his grace. God is willing to reveal his grace to you. And perhaps you're somebody like Enoch who needed a new revelation of God's character. Please come to the front, ladies and gentlemen. There is plenty of time. It's not about everyone else's walk. It's about your walk with Jesus. And if you're somebody today who is saying, God, I do need to experience some grace. I've been slipping in my walk. I haven't been faithful. Come to the front. You don't need to be embarrassed. This is the time. At the foot of the cross, you'll find plenty of grace. God has this grace for you. And he wants to bestow this grace to you today. Ladies and gentlemen, this is the time. The Bible says, today if you hear his voice, do not harden your heart. The people of Noah's time rejected that grace. They rejected the grace that God offered. And they were lost. There's no need to be lost, ladies and gentlemen. If you need God's grace, it is abundant for you today. Now is the time. Now is the time that God is calling you. You know, there are special times that God opens up a window of opportunity. And in this window of opportunity, he pours out his presence in a very special way to his people. There is no need to wait, ladies and gentlemen. Today, if you need God's grace, it is available for the most sinful person there is today. Let's pray, church family. Father in heaven, thank you so much again for being a friend. Thank you for being a good friend who loves us, who cares for us. Even the most sinful of us, Lord, thank you that at the foot of the cross we find grace. Lord, bless us more and more with this incredible grace that we may walk with you. That we may fear you and love you, Lord. Help us to understand what we cannot with our own eyesight. Your goodness. Thank you, Jesus, for today. In your holy name we pray. Amen. This media was brought to you by Audioverse, a website dedicated to spreading God's word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse, or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.